This empty chair represents the addict who died today, not knowing recovery was possible. Hi everyone and welcome to this evening's episode of The Empty Chair. Um, tonight's episode is dedicated to Crystal Waugh. She was a 39-year-old former program director of a Journey House Recovery in Sanford, Maine. Um, I did not know her personally, but her obituary um, really pulled up my heartstrings, and uh, as they all do. And it's just a reminder of, um, you know, during these times, especially during to COVID, that we're stuck in isolation, and uh, isolation's going to kill us. So. Um, my heart and uh, my prayers go out to Crystal Waugh's family and her friends, um, and I just want to dedicate this evening to her. I also want to bring up a reminder like, during COVID <clears throat> that the numbers since COVID began, overdoses are up 30% and suicide rates are 19%. We want you to know that you're not alone. Um, if you're hurting, please reach out. There's uh, myself, Snooky, Jesse. There's many people in recovery who want to help. Um, so please don't do this alone. I always want to thank my sponsors. You'll see their names throughout the evening um, on the banner. And these are the, the organizations that help support the show. Um, with their banners being shown, um, that money goes into an account. So if someone needs a bed at treatment or at a sober house, after they complete treatment, we're able to do that. So a big shout out to all our sponsors for still... Um, helping us plow through this and, and just being a, a financial support for us. So I truly appreciate it. Um, I also wanted to bring up that February is Marijuana Awareness Month. And there's many people who think that like marijuana is not addicting and everyone has their own opinions and whatever on it. And throughout my journey of recovery the past 32 years, I've met many individuals who've been addicted to marijuana, um, even family members that um, will now say <clears throat> it is addicting, you know, and also can marijuana lead to other drugs. So I know tonight Jason's going to do a, like a brief education because it is Marijuana Awareness Month, and I asked uh, Snooky, who I love, whoop, whoop, to, uh, <laughs> to do a, a, um, a little thing about marijuana, a little brief education, because our show's not only used to share our experience, strength, and hope, but most importantly, like, this show's used to educate um, families and, and, and people that are out there listening to us. Um, before we kick off the show, I just want to remind everyone that on Monday nights, we have an amazing program called The Circle of Hope. It's for family and friends um, that have a loved one that is battling addiction, um, and Phil and Fran Leahy host this every evening. We're on Zoom at 6.30 to 8 o'clock every Monday evening. You can find the information on Circle of Hope, um, Facebook page, MVP ASAP page, or you can reach out to me for that information. We also provide a resource night the first Monday of every month. We have um, a resource from the Merrimack Valley come in to share about their um, program or their organization and what they offer. Um, this past Monday, we had an amazing group come in, Alternative Home Health Care, and they shared about the health care that they offer, um, nursing into the houses of individuals. And they also spoke a lot about an organization, not an organization, um, uh, something that they participated in, and it was setting up 
a camp for the homeless over in Methuen on Pelham Street, and they're serving over 125 individuals, getting them off the street this winter, and that's just amazing. So MVP ASAP, on behalf of MBA, MVP ASAP, welcome to tonight's show. And I have two beautiful souls, Snooki. I've known since the beginning of his journey, and it's been um, a crazy, fun journey all over the place. And Jess, I was blessed to meet um, at a woman's meeting and just felt connected to her ever since, and she's always been on my mind. So let's start the evening off with uh, marijuana and um, a little uh, education piece on it, Jason. Let's hear what you got. A little marijuana. Yeah, hey, marijuana. Uh, appreciation month um thank you so much for having me on snookums it's not appreciation month it's awareness <laughs> i am so aware people do appreciate the weed just not me <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my goodness well so uh no thank you for having me and uh and i did i did uh quite quite an extensive research on on uh marijuana so um so according to SAMHSA, which is the uh, Substance Abuse and, and Mental Health Services Administration here in the United States, um, they uh, classify marijuana as a Schedule One drug. Um, the, the, the FDA, the, it's still federally um, Schedule One, which means that um, even all the research that I ended up doing for this and uh, trying to find longitudinal studies, there really isn't many out there because of its classification, um, which is really, really interesting because Schedule 1 means that there is absolutely no health benefit and uh, that it is highly abusive. Um, so Schedule 2, uh, there is such drugs such as uh, methadone, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, Percocet, uh, fentanyl, um, other, other opiates, morphine, opium, codeine, hydrocodone. So uh, it, it's just, it's really interesting how uh, marijuana is still uh, classified with no medical benefits. Um, and uh, just a, a little bit to touch on what marijuana actually is. So um, marijuana or cannabis is the most commonly used illicit drug in the United States. It acts by binding to cannabinoid receptors in the brain to produce a variety of effects, including euphoria, intoxication, and memory and motor impairments. These same cannabinoid receptors are also critical for brain development. They are also part of the uh, endocannabinoid system, which impacts the formation of brain circuits, important for decision-making, mm. mood, and responding to stress. Uh, and so um, that's, that's a little background in that. Um, Dr. Jerome Adams, he's actually the old, uh, the retired Surgeon General for the United States, uh, actually started doing a lot of research behind the the upcoming marijuana, THC, CBD movement that's happening uh, in the United States and throughout the world. Um, and he did a lot of studies on brain development and early, early childhood, adolescent, and what the effects were on 
the brain and some of the things that he ended up finding was actually really interesting because what they did was they separated the two different ingredients that's found in marijuana. First, you have the THC, which is uh, this is a long Delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol, right? <laughs> and now that's uh, yeah, I, I can't believe I pronounced that correctly without um, tongue twisting. Um, so that component is responsible for the euphoria and intoxication that is found in marijuana, and that is the highly abusive ingredient. However, you also have CBT, CBD, which is the cannabin. Cannabidiol. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I, I jacked that one up. But yeah. so this is non intoxicating and does not lead to addiction as, as far as the uh, SAMHSA and the FDA is concerned. So uh, CBD is actually found countrywide. Yeah. Um, there's very, very little restrictions on it. Uh, and I mean, you can pretty much order it online and, and get it sent to you, uh, anywhere. And so there are a lot of medical benefits that have been found in CBD. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's why it's continued to, uh, to be used. It's actually, so the FDA has actually approved CBD to treat two different types of epilepsy. Um, and so why it's still uh, classified as a schedule one uh, illicit drug. I, I have no idea. It's actually really, really um, kind of dampering down this research that is really needed to be able to find different medical uh, benefits. And in, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and so uh, some, some more, more little fun facts. So as it stands today, so there are uh, 36 states that have legalized marijuana for medical purposes. And there is actually 15 states plus Washington, D.C. that's legalized recreational use of marijuana. Wow. Um, now, that goes from state to state, even though the federal regulations on it still classify it as illicit drug mm -hmm. um, with no medical benefits. Each state kind of has their autonomy um, with, with these, these different um, regulations. Um, so can I ask you guys, marijuana, is, did either one of you start with marijuana? Was that ever your first drug? And did you ever think that marijuana would take you off on a whole different uh, road to where it took you? So, yeah, I mean, I, pot was like my first love, you know. Yeah. I um, definitely started with weed. Yeah. So I can, I, can, I can say that, yeah, for sure. Right. And I think it's because um, it's probably what we could get our hands on, you know, versus anything else. Because if you're anything, I believe you started young. So actually, Jesse, why don't I introduce you to, at this point to share your experience, strength, and hope. Tell us about... Your, your journey, your journey is amazing. Um, it, it's heart-wrenching, and, and it's just a full picture of starting off with marijuana and going into addiction and, and losing love in addiction and still remaining um, on this journey of recovery. So 
the yeah. uh, night mic's all yours, girl. Share your experience, <laughs> strength, and hope. So, um, my name's Jesse. I'm a person in long-term recovery from Hi, substance Jessie. use disorder. Um, thank you so much for having me, Cole. Um, yeah. So for me, what it was like is, um, you know, I grew up in like Stratham, New Hampshire in a nice house with, um, everything I needed. And, um, you know, my parents are still married. They, um, you know, provided me with a car and helped me pay for college. They paid for my college. Um, I, uh, started experimenting with substances when I was in high school and I really wanted to just fit in. You know, I always felt like an outsider, like I didn't belong. Um, I can identify a couple of things in my early childhood that may have helped contribute to some of the already insecure feelings I was having. Um, when I was 11 years old, my friend Danielle, she died on the soccer field, like right next to me and at soccer practice one night. So that was obviously something traumatic that happened when I was a child that affected me. Um, I don't feel that I got the appropriate like support around that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because all those other girls that were there that night, um, the majority, like, I think I'm the only one that ended up in active addiction. Um, because for me, there was other things going on. There was already codependency going on within me. Um, and then I got picked on by um, a boy in junior high and he like really just like kind of ridiculed me. And um, I remember he picked on me in the lunchroom one day and um, just kind of said like, nobody likes you, no one even wants you here. Like. Um, you should just leave. And I was like horrified, you know, it was just like the worst I'd ever felt. And, um, I didn't like talk to anyone about it though. You know, like I went home that day and I, I went up in my room, closed the door and I just cried by myself, you know, and I internalized this all. Like I didn't tell my mom, I didn't tell my dad. Um, and I think looking back, it was like out of fear that like they were going to take their love away. You know, like I was just so fearful that I wasn't worth worth anything. Um, and I remember kind of at that point, like I, I made a decision that like, I never wanted to feel that way again, you know. Yeah. And, um, and for me, um, what that looked like was uh, following the crowd. Like, I was just so um, afraid of getting picked on again that, like, I wanted to sit at that lunch table and nobody to question why I was sitting there. So I really followed the crowd and I blended in with the popular girls. And I ended up, you know, at all the parties and had all the friends. Um, but I just felt like such a fraud. I felt like I didn't belong. And that if I actually showed who I truly was, no one wouldn't want me there. Um... So when I did find weed, it was something that I could use all the time, you know, like alcohol, you had to have someone with an ID buy it for you. And then you had to <laughs> like, you know, drink and there was bottles and, you know, so like I could smoke weed like on my way to school, I could smoke weed like on my lunch break and I could use it to escape the way that I was, the condition that I was feeling, you know, all the time. 
so that's what I started doing. You know, at 16, it was just like I smoked weed all the time. And um, then I would go on to find Adderall. Um, I, you know, used Adderall a lot in college and, you know, lots of alcohol, cocaine came in. Um, you know, I got through UNH somehow. Um, and I was always, I was always seeking substances and it was always, you know, like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And then I would always do it. I always would cross that line. Um, and so what it... So when I was 25, I um, had a child, and after that, I found Percocet. And that was just like, you know, I thought I'd found the answer. Like, I can just take this little tiny sliver of a blue pill, and I could clean the whole house. I could, you know, uh, <laughs> mow the whole, I could mow the lawn. I was like, you know, the best vacuumer when I, <laughs> you know did them. I, I thought it thought it made me better at everything I did. Um, and that's when I would say, quote unquote, the drugs were working, you know, because um, that's what it feels like in the beginning, you know, that it's making you better. And um, you really can't see that it's not making you better. And then pretty soon it starts to make you worse. And, um, you know, from there, things spiraled. There was uh, a period where I was on Suboxone. Um, and then, um, I met my late boyfriend, my now late boyfriend, um, Joey, and he did, um, he did heroin and, um, I didn't know that when I met him, but we, you know, fell in love very quickly, very hard. And, um, and yeah, so it wasn't before long, you know, I was, I wanted to know what he was experiencing and I wanted to understand. So I ended up using heroin, and from that point on, it was just a battle with, like, IV drug addiction to things to a whole new level, you know? Um, it's just like a whole different ball game. You can't even pretend to function at life, you know? Like, the reason that I used substances was because it helped me, in my mind, perform better. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted to be present in my life, but I wanted something to help me do it. I didn't want to not be present though. I didn't want to, to, you know, a lot of people will like to like use and then like nod off and pass out. And, you know, that wasn't my MO, you know, like I wanted to be up. I wanted to be connecting with people. Um, I wanted to have a life and those drugs just took away all of that. Um, I just, the depression got so great. Um, I was in and out of jails and rehabs, um, lost custody of my child, lost my house, you know, I got arrested at gunpoint in Lawrence. Um, just new lows just kept happening, you know? And so, yeah, so then it was four years ago. Um, I was in treatment and me and this girl, Sarah had been using, well, we had been taking Adderall when we were in treatment. <laughs> and she told, because she really wanted to go back to Manchester and use. Um, her boyfriend had died of an overdose, and she just was, like, really wanting to drown that away. And so she told on us, and we got kicked out. Um, that was on a Friday. 
So I would go down to take the train from Portland down to Lawrence and meet Joey and um, got high. And the last time I saw Joey alive was that Saturday. Um, so my birthday was Thursday, that coming Thursday. It was October 12th. 13th was my, birth, was my birthday. And on the 12th, um, I asked Joey to get me some drugs. And I said, you know, my birthday. And he was like, no, we're trying to stop. Um, like, I'm not doing this for you anymore. And I convinced him that, you know, that he owed me or whatever. You know, I just manipulated him because that's what we do, right? That's what we do when we're in addiction. And uh, so he ended up getting me drugs, I guess. I don't know. Um, I never found them. But I did go to his house because he stopped answering his phone and find him overdosed in his bedroom and he didn't make it back um obviously he tried to save him and i i mean i knew the second that i saw him that he wasn't coming back um and it's like i just like screamed at the top of my lungs you know and it was um the worst moment of my life and then about 10 minutes later i got a text from the owner of the sober living that I'd been at, that I'd been at, and my friend Sarah had died on Monday of an overdose, mm. the one that we got to get the treatment together. Um, so I literally lost my boyfriend and my friend within 10 minutes of each other. Um, I, the next day, got arrested on my birthday by my probation officer who, um, you know, violated me, I think, as a way to protect me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up in Valley Street Jail on my birthday, you know, no money on my books, no one to call, uh, dope sick, just like, it does, the bottom doesn't get much, much deeper than that, you know? And, um, you know, that wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be enough to, uh, to wake me up. You know, that just signed my permission slip. That just gave my addiction permission to really grab hold of me um but but I did I was afraid of I was afraid of heroin you know because I had had multiple overdoses myself and um I didn't want to die I have a child I didn't want to leave him on this earth without me so um you know I really battled with IV cocaine use um I would go in and out of treatment for the next year, um, ended up on drug court in Rockingham County <laughs> and um, got terminated from drug court in sobriety because I couldn't stay away from a guy that I met on drug court because I was, you know, the rules didn't apply to me and I was going to do what I wanted to do. And uh, so I ended up getting terminated. And that was where my journey really began. Um, when I was able to get terminated from drug court in sobriety, I knew that like this problem didn't have anything to do with drugs and alcohol, you know, like this was a me problem and I was going to keep doing this until I was willing to take a look at myself and do some work. Um, and I was tired of hurting the people that I loved. You know, having to tell my son that I'm in jail again is just like the worst thing that I could ever experience, you know. 
Um, and so I've, you know, met some great women. I got, I got out of um, jail in September of 2018. Um, my sobriety date is February 17th of 2018 so it was prior to going in amen and um i came out was on the bracelet for a while and i started going to um lots of meetings and lots of hot yoga classes like i Mm. could only leave my house for like um you know self-help stuff or work and i was like living lucky enough to live with my parents like and um, there, that's probably part of the reason that I was able to recover. So God bless them, um, that I had that support and I was able to really say, I'm going to figure this out now. Like I'm going to go to meetings, I'm going to exercise and I'm going to do some hard things and I'm going to do it for like eight weeks and see how that works out. Maybe it'll make me feel better. And if not, then like I can go back to where I was living before, you know, because like, I just sat in jail for six months. I can at least try to live differently for eight weeks and see how it goes. Hmm. I wouldn't even say 90 days. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go with eight weeks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of um, where, you know, the change really happened was I got a sponsor. I did step work. Um, you know, for me, I really think that the hot yoga is, part of my story and I like yeah. to mention it because I found that like lots of people in recovery especially from opiate addiction benefit from it yeah um and I do hot Pilates now and that's my biggest cheat code I could give to anyone in recovery is that's the closest I get to feeling high mm. being sober nice um and because and I do in, inferno hot Pilates so it's like hell on earth you know but then (laughs) but then it's great because you just feel so good after oh yeah yeah so um I work at bonfire I'm getting my master's in social work um I have you know my son back in my life and how old is your son he's 12 he's He's 12 12. yeah so he's he's like at that age where like I'm getting nervous for him yeah um but yeah, I mean, I have just learned and grown so much from my journey. It made me who I am. Um, you know, I carry Joey in my heart and um, I had an experience where like I saw a medium and like I connected to him and it made me realize that there's things possible in this world that I never knew before. Yeah. And I would not have known that had I not lost him and gone down the road that I went down. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm just so grateful for it. And like, um, I feel sad sometimes for like the destruction I caused along the way. And, um, I feel sad that Joey wasn't able the opportunity to recover because of fentanyl. Um, and I have survivor's guilt sometimes around that, especially where I like begged him to get drugs that day. That's, something I really had to um, forgive myself for. Mm. Um, But I know that he's with me and, um, you know, I know he's like my angel. So I um, Mm -hmm. have a really strong connection with him today and a connection with a higher power um, all because of him, 
you know? So, like, I really take um, pride and have passion in sharing his story and his message as well as mine. And, like, um, I get to, like, I get lots of clients that come in the doors that have just lost people of overdoses all the time. And I get to, like, walk with them in that grief. And it's really, like, beautiful um, because I get to be there for them and see them in that moment. And um, I do this thing with them where we take one of the, uh, like, a Chinese lantern and we light the lantern. Mm -hmm. And we play some nice music and the whole house comes out and they they let the lantern go. Um, And that's what we had done for Joey when I lost him. And um, so I get to be there to like mark these moments with them. And it's, um, I can't, I just like, they pay me to do that kind of work. And it's like, I would pay, I would pay to be, to be there for that. You know, it's just the most meaningful thing to me. And, um, you know, so, so how can you say that, you know, it's not God's will and that this wasn't meant, you know, to be the way that it, that it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Remarkable. And, um, and, and the same story with, that's where we're have the same story is, um, the death of my boyfriend in high school is what mm-hmm. led me into self-destruction. Um, yeah. he wasn't into drugs or he he had a very rare heart disease that went unnoticed and um mm. but as much as I miss him and I think of him daily and often wondered what he would look like and stuff his death may sent me down into hell and yeah. uh it was there where I met God and where my whole life changed and I don't know if I didn't have that experience that I would be who I am today um, so I totally identify with it. I think it's great that um, that you have this layer, this onion, that different layers of healing. Because I'm sure every time a man or woman come to you and they have recently lost a loved one, that this is part of your healing process as well. And they're probably teaching you something about yourself. And uh, <clears throat> and a lot of forgiveness work. Um, yeah. It would be mandatory to be doing for yourself <clears throat> on to let go of that day. Because you did say God's will, and that's yeah. where we have to keep it, and that's where we have to believe it. Yeah. But your story is remarkable. I know you did a lot on the seacoast. I came to the opening of um, SO, was it SOS? Yeah. Is that the one that's in Hampton? And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I think COVID happened, and I have no idea what's happening at this time. But you're a very powerful woman, and if I, anyone's listening tonight and they're struggling, what would be your words of wisdom? What would be your words of advice to give them? So, you know, there's, there's hope and just Amen. connection is the answer, you know, and it begins with connection, healthy connection to self and um, that involves being connected to the people around you, but just ask for help. And, you know, if you're a family member of someone that's struggling, like, we just have to love people through it. And I'm not saying like, uh, we can't set boundaries yeah. and, you know, set boundaries of love, but, um, you know, this is a disease and it's hard to love an addict or, mm-hmm. you know, a person that's in active addiction. Yeah. Um, it's very challenging. It's hard it's not to tough. take it personal. <laughs> yeah. Remember yeah. That, that those behaviors are part of it. They're part of the disease. Yeah. And um, 
just try to love them through it and, you know, try, try, don't, but don't pretend it's not happening either, yeah. you know, so. Amen. And I also love that uh, you implemented exercise. That was, um, it's a, for myself, that was my survival mode of mm. being able to exercise and being able to move that energy. Like my therapist used to say, <clears throat> don't let the thought of drinking last longer than three seconds or it's going to own you. I don't care how you move that energy, but move it. So it was jumping jacks, it was running, it was push-ups, it was just, just get that out of me. And the whole thing with the sweating <clears throat> in the hot yoga that you're doing, like that, that's a natural high. And um, yeah. so where you're at along in your recovery for only being sober and clean since um, 2018, you yeah. are a lot farther than some other people because you utilize these tools to get you where you're at. So you're well, a miracle. Know, with, the, uh, with, with the hot yoga, yoga is so vital to us in recovery. Amen. Because we store trauma, yeah. a.k.a. stress, right, fear, uh, in our body at a cellular level. Yeah. Right. And without moving the body, doing yoga, meditation, we are not going to be able to alleviate that stress. It stays in us at a physiological level. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that and that the yoga, like that movement therapy can actually start the healing process for the mental healing. You know yeah. what I mean? So like you can start healing your body physically and that's going to help your, your mind heal as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here with us tonight, Jess. And uh, I'm going to introduce Jason. And uh, again, Snooky, I've known you since the beginning of your journey, since the day that you walked out of um, jail and you were brought to a Sunday evening meeting. Uh, you and uh, Craig were two of my favorite people to witness um, throughout this journey, and uh, we've had some amazing times. No matter where Jason and I go, we get kicked out um, because, um, yeah, we get kicked out in recovery because that's who we are. So, Snookums, I know you have a, a very powerful story to share with our audience tonight um, about hope and about recovery. So can you share a little bit of your experience, strength, and hope with uh, the listeners this evening? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh so I am a uh, person in long-term recovery, first and foremost. Um, I am sober today, but for the grace of God Amen. and through the 12 steps. Um, uh, I am a licensed clinical social worker and master's level drug and alcohol counselor. Um, back when I ended up getting out of jail for the last time in 2011, uh, I didn't think that there was anything for me in my future. Yeah. And uh, that's just not true, right? We can, we can do anything we want to in life. We are the only ones putting limitations on ourselves. Uh, and that was a beautiful, remarkable thing that I ended up finding in doing the, uh, the, the work that uh, is involved in recovery. And, and staying vigilant and doing it each and every single day. Um, so my, my story, a little bit about uh, how I started out. So, uh, so my nickname growing up was the Red Rooster. <laughs> ah, people still call me the Rooster. Um, 
So it was it was because at five o'clock in the morning when everybody else was was trying to sleep, I was still wide awake partying, yelling "woo," keeping everybody else up, uh, and and so that was me. Um, and eventually, where my drinking and drugging brought me, you know, it started off being this so much enjoyment and fulfillment, and it just. Um, completed me so much. But where it brought me to at the end of it was there was no more Red Rooster. There was no more enjoyment. It was me alone in my room, um, you know, drinking copious amounts of, of Zanka bottles. And, uh, and I was um, a class A IV heroin and cocaine user as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, my recovery journey has been uh, long. It's had its ups. It has its downs. Uh, Cole has had to show up to hospital rooms and kick my butt, uh, literally. Oh, my God. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? I think of that as like, man, but for the grace of God, mm. right? We have each other's back so much um, that... Um, I can't imagine not being in recovery nowadays, yeah. right? I just, I, I can't imagine it. The uh, fellowship, the community, right, that has grown up around me now, um, I am never alone. And, uh, and, and you're right, Cole, anybody listening tonight, please reach out um, because what I do on a daily basis is, uh, is I give back what was so freely given to me. Um, it was, it was kind of worded to me like this, right? Um, every single time I would get out of a psych ward, every single time I would get out of a jail cell, I was consistently putting the cart before the horse. And what that means is me getting sober and my plan looks <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this time, okay, I've got it figured out. Um, I'm, I'm first going to get the good job uh, with a lot of money. Once I get the money, then I will get the girlfriend. Eventually I will get the wife and the house with the white picket fence. And then once I have all those things, of course, then I'll no longer have a desire to drink or use copious amounts of narcotics. Um, but unfortunately I was leaving out a vital component to, to that equation, right? And, and, and that was my higher power, what I choose to call God nowadays. Um, if I wake up nowadays and I choose to chase God with the vigilance like I did those very first days back in 2011, all of those other things that I just mentioned, all of my deepest desires, all of my hopes and my dreams, those things fall into place just naturally. Mm -hmm. right? um, and uh, it was 2011 when my very first sponsor came in to Rockingham County Correctional Facility. Yeah. Uh, I used to call it Rockingham Country Club, you know, my, <laughs> my home away from home. Um, he came in there and he looked at me uh, dead in the eyes and he said, you never have to feel this way ever again. Yeah. And he said, I can show you the way out 
because somebody showed me and I can show you too. And man, those words just always stuck with me. Nobody had ever said that to me. I had been in and out of adolescent programs. I had talked to psychiatrists, caseworkers, psychologists, social workers, mental health counselors. I mean, you name it. But nobody had ever sat down next to me and said, hey, I know exactly what you're going through because me too. Um, And so that started my journey. And a little bit of what I do nowadays. Nowadays, I I work for uh, an organization in, in the treatment world. Uh, it's called Aware Recovery Care. We we provide Ooh, in-home addiction. Treatment. I used yeah. to work there with you. Yeah, yeah, you did, Paul, <laughs> and you were a rock star. I remember the the, the days of the CPR, right? Yeah. CPR training, <laughs> right? Ah, ah, ah. Uh, uh, staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so now, what my job is is I have been given the responsibility to go out to each and every single new state that we're opening up in and help train all the new providers that are now providing care um, in in all these new locations, right? How cool. I could have never imagined that. I could have never possibly dreamed that I would have been doing that when I was sitting in my jail cell. Back then it was – holy cow, how am I going to stay sober and what kind of janitorial or custodial job am I going to be able to get? Yeah, absolutely. And what's so, um, like, aware recovery, when they came into existence of doing the, bring the um, recovery into the home, did they ever think that a pandemic would be coming along eight years later after they start this organization to that people have to be at home and look at, all of the individuals that they hire and all those that are getting treatment in the house because of one, what they started and two, we're in a pandemic and now the treatment's coming to you. So I'm happy to hear that it's going to other states because when I I was there, we were just, can we get into Massachusetts? It was only Connecticut, New Hampshire, you know, let's, let's grow this. And um, so I'm really happy to hear that that's what you're doing out in Florida as well. Um, And hopefully around the state's, um, that will be able to take the insurance because that was um, an amazing program for people who are afraid to leave the house, for people who aren't ready to leave the house, to bring actual a plan of action into your home. And then not only are you working with the addict or the alcoholic, you're incorporating the family members. And yes. it's just an amazing, amazing um treatment plan that that these folks designed and it was really great to see it in uh, in action yeah because cole you you know better than anybody i mean we heal out in the community yeah right and we heal with one another and we rally around each other and uh man like what what a what a beautiful existence do we have nowadays yeah um you know, as long as I follow certain spiritual principles, and, and, and I'm not talking about religious principles by any means. I'm talking about spiritual principles, waking up in the morning and deciding to um, do something nice for somebody else, as opposed to just thinking of how I'm going to uh, 
uh, feel happy through the day. Yeah, yeah. It's all about giving back to others. And uh, I know both these are speaking about the yoga piece. And, like, my favorite nights were Tuesdays with Pierce over at Green Mountain in Salem, New Hampshire. Of Pierce just getting us right in the mind and, the, and doing yoga. And, um, and now I see you at different things, Jason, and, and you're expanding yourself in that area as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do physically for yourselves, for your mental health, for your well-being? Sure. Yeah, Jesse, you want to uh, pop this one off? Well, oh, I already talked about yeah, what I Yeah, she already physically. gave us her hot yoga and everything. <laughs> what do you have? It's all, it's all on me. Okay. Yeah, what are you doing for self? I see. Okay. Um, so, uh, physically, so I, I used to be a, a gym knot when I was first getting sober, it was all about, um, looking good aesthetically. And so I was going to the gym, uh, one would say alcoholically, um, right. trying, trying to regain some type of uh, physical fitness, but, but really it was, um, it, it was not according to my spiritual guidelines that I have nowadays. Nowadays, um, I, I do yoga, uh, every single day. I, I meditate. Um, I, I'm going to make sure that I, I get outside, uh, at least every other day to put my bare feet down on the ground to reconnect with the earth, reconnect with the mother, um, and I always, always make sure I, uh, you know, I, I, I connect with other people. Sometimes nowadays it's, it's not easy with, with COVID, but I do try and stay in some type of physical contact with other people because I, for one, I need that, right? Like I need, um, you know, a hug. Yeah. <laughs> I hug other people and, and I just... I know it sounds so silly and it even may sound a little cliche, but, um, you know, it, it is the contact between one another uh, that, that keeps us going, that keeps us thriving and, and provides fulfillment in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of um, the pandemic, how have you two, who have some time under your belt, how have you been handling this mentally? How have you gone to meetings? Like we used to be able to go to meetings seven days a week, four times a day if we wanted to, see our peeps, hug, talk. And now here we are, pandemic, masks on, which we, our addiction was a mask to begin with. Now we have a physical mask on, can't touch, can't go to meetings. And how are you two navigating through this? Mm. So um, I would say that for me, when the pandemic hit, it was like, Oh, self-care is canceled. Like, I don't have to go to meetings anymore. Like, I don't have to work a recovery program. That's what my disease told me, you know? And, um, you know, I did the Zoom and stuff for a little bit, and but my heart was never into it. And, you know, so that, that was, like, kind of, like, my emotional relapse started there, you know? Um, and I did get into, like, a bad place and struggle with a lot of the behaviors, um start to come out, you know, and I'm discontent and, um, I wasn't doing, I wasn't putting the action in, you know, and, um, luckily I have a good support network and I lean on the people around me and I, um, stay connected because then I'm able to get honest about, you know, 
where I'm falling short and have people help me along the way. Um, but yeah, it looks totally different today. I, I don't get to as many in-person meetings or just meetings in general because I still do have some weird resentment against Zoom. You know, I'm on the computer screen too much. I don't want to have to go to a Zoom meeting or whatever. It's just like my disease working on me. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> so I get to like two, maybe three meetings in-person meetings a week. I do fellowship every Sunday night after the Exeter Young People. Amen. So we go out to dinner. Amen. Um, and that's my home group, um, the Exeter Young People. We're in, at the Stratum Town Hall temporarily, Sunday night um, from 7 to 8. Nice. And, um, yeah, so that's mine and Snooks, both of our home groups. Yeah. And I um, sent you guys a few good people that way as well. Yeah, and we've seen some people that have actually come and spoken. Mm -hmm. Your name gets dropped quite often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does. It really does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I do hot Pilates and, and hot yoga a couple days a week. Yep. I meet with my sponsor nice. at least weekly. I don't call, call her enough, but um, I, I'm on my amends. Um, so I'm continuing the work, you know, yep. I, I pray. Yep. Um, and I was just want to say one thing about yoga, um, is that it helps you set an intention, you know, like it reminds you to set an intention to be good to your body. Right. Yeah. And you remember that you don't want to put bad things in your body and you want to be kind to yourself. And that helped me in the beginning when I would have those moments, I would remember that, I only want to do positive things for my body, and I, I want to be kind to myself. Mm. So, so that's one thing that is a benefit of yoga. And now, Snook, over to you on the COVID question. There you go, Jess. <laughs> Good transition. I love that. Yes. So I'm gonna tr I'm gonna try and say this without you guys resenting me too too much. But down here in Florida, <laughs> I've got to tell you, I they don't have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> my brother lives there he sends pictures every day they have no masks no they're no living masks. life nothing zero masks and and to tell you that trump is still president down here <laughs> um, but, but uh but you know, you know, i i've been going out to to beaches almost every single day and Amen. out on the sand um, I mean, it is incredible to see people rallying around one another during this really, really difficult time. And like you were talking about earlier, Cole, absolutely suicide rates are spiking. Yeah. Mental health rates are spiking. Substance use disorder rates are spiking. Yeah. Um, and uh, and now is the time that we need to, uh, to rally around uh, each other e even stronger. I'm back home. When I was up there in, in New Hampshire, um, you know, there were some some underground meetings that that people were going yeah. to that were off off the books. Yeah. Right. It was kind of like, uh, you, you know, it, it was like a it was like a speakeasy, but but except for <laughs> sobriety. Right. Yeah. You know, like what's what's the passcode? Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And I, because people are like fighting for their sobriety, fighting for their life. That's what we're doing here. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So in Florida, do they still, they have open meetings and everything like going on and nothing stopped for them, which just blows my mind that there's no COVID in Florida, you know, and we're yeah. losing people every single day. And 
and it's just absolutely 200 people die a day from from addiction you know and that's that's insane and i'm sure the numbers when they come out for 2020 into when we get the numbers for 2020 this year they're going to be astronomical you know yes. and even people even like we had a lot of um old timers that relapse because mm. they don't use the computer they don't know how to use the computer and you want them to go on a meeting on a computer and um so the isolation began and isolation and isolation and isolation and it led them to you know poor me poor me poor me a drink for the relief and uh, it's been very devastating to see what it is and like you said we have to come together we have mm -hmm. to be but if we're not taking care like i'm i'm going through depression i've been battling depression i have been sitting there like there are some days where I just sit there and cry, like, when's this going to stop? When is life going to be normal again, you know? And uh, if we don't care, take care of our own mental health, we're going to be worth junk to people, you know? Mm -hmm. So I love that you're in Florida, that you're getting some vitamin D, and uh, and that you're just being out there and being a pure example to people. Like, like recovery can still happen even during a pandemic. My heart aches for the newcomer to come in mm -hmm. because... Mm -hmm. What was it like when I got sober in 1987? We were smoking in basements. We were drinking coffee. There were hundreds of people, you know. A newcomer today, oh, yeah, go to a meeting on over here and, and check into this Zoom meeting. And, like, where's the connection? Because for myself, my, my sobriety is only as long as it is because I always remained connected. I knew once I let go of the disconnect of the disease, of the people, I would have been gone. And I heard, you know, meeting makers make it. So it was so important for me to go to a meeting because I didn't have another sober in me. And I knew I had many more drunks in me, but I didn't have another sober. So I just held on to that. And, like, we're blessed that we got sober and clean with men and women in a group. And uh, and I just pray that this ends soon. Or I'm sure the, um, the rates of recovery right now might be looking good in Florida. You know, because you still have that connection. You're not making the isolation. There's there's no isolation going on there. And um, so it's just, it, it's tough times. And, and we have these uh, these shows so that we can offer hope, so we can tell someone out there, you know, if you're struggling, don't give up. If you're struggling, you know, reach out. There are so many people that want to help. You have the Aware Recovery that will go into the home. You have AA. You have NA. You have churches, you know. One of the things I didn't mention was uh, Celebrate Recovery meets in Plaston, New Hampshire on Tuesday nights. And uh, that, that's an amazing group to get in touch with. And they're on Zoom right now um, with the hopes of hopefully our uh, our numbers are going to start going down. Um, at my job now, I have to get tested once a month. And um, I was just told, like, the numbers are starting to go down um, in January. That's when I took my test. And I'm like, of course they are, you know. But I'm glad that they're going down because I need normalcy in my life, you know. Um, I don't know if I was new and if this was 1987 and I was getting sober and a pandemic came upon us. I don't know if I would have made it this far. So I constantly pray, pray for individuals. Um, getting clean and sober and uh i know there's uh, an amazing meeting starting tonight the haven of hope in methuen they're starting their woman's big book step study meeting and they're starting it on zoom as well because they can't have people into the residence yet and um 
but just to keep that connect going and and, and the two of you like you guys are foot soldiers and, and don't ever stop what you're doing and just don't ever stop until you finish your school and keep going and keep pushing through and Snooky just keep being uh, the red rooster out there you know Snooky, like you didn't tell half your funny stories, which are like this kid got his first Dewey was on a big wheel at age 16 on, on Route 88 in Summersworth, a uh, uh, stratum, you know, yeah, yeah, and uh, oh my god, like I pee my pants. And then you used to come to Stratford County when I was um, an instructor there, and you would speak to my kids um, and, and share your experience, strength, and hope there, and I'll never forget it. And then you really, a few years back, you know, you really showed me how strong this disease was when I went on a mission and I found you. And I found you in Boston Hospital um, on a whim and you were mortified that I had found you. Mm -hmm. And then you were like, oh, I'll never do this again as they were about to amputate your arm, you know, like, oh, I'm never gonna use again. And then you go, can you step outside for a minute? I gotta text someone. And I step outside and I went, He's asking for drugs. Why couldn't he text someone in front of me? And I came in and started beating the shit out of you. And <laughs> the nurse came in thinking you were, came after me and security's dragging me off of you. And, and that was just, you really, that was when I saw how strong addiction had had you. And, uh, and I made you say goodbye to me that day, if you remember, because I said, um, I know I'm not going to see you again. And I mm. was convinced that I was burying you. And I'm just so grateful that I didn't. And I'm so grateful that you got over the other side. Like, when do we finally cross that line to get over to the other side? When do we finally find it within us to wipe ourselves off and say, I'm going to do treatment and I'm going to make it work, you know? And uh, I'm just blessed that both of you have and that you don't stop and that you continue to do this. So uh, thank you both uh, for being here yeah, this evening. Cool. I, I just want to mention, um, yeah. have you ever um, mentioned to your audience the um, Mercy the Mercy Street meeting um, in Plasau, um on Tuesday nights? It's for people that have lost people to addiction or if their life affected by addiction in any way. Um, it's Tuesday night. I think it's seven. Is that Aaron and his wife, Pastor Aaron yeah, and his Aaron wife? Aaron and Wendy, yep. um, one twenty-two Main Street in Plasso. Yep. And that meeting was essential for me in healing, and I found like a family there that supported me um, in my grieving process. Yeah. And it's just there's magic that happens inside those those walls. So you know, I'm going to reach out to them. I'm glad you said. Them. I'm going to have them on the show. And have yeah, them talk amazing. a little bit about that. Yeah, I've met Aaron. Aaron, when we were opening the Haven of Hope, he had brought in Bibles over for the girls. He was actually doing some work over there with the uh, girls as well um, pre before COVID, and he hasn't been able to be back in there. But they're great people. So that is right that the Mercy Street is for people who have lost a loved one. Again, on Monday nights, we have the Circle of Hope for people who are struggling I have a loved one that is struggling, and that is with Phil and Fran Leahy. We have um, Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday evenings in Plasto that I want to give a shout-out there, too. And, uh, again, if you're listening tonight, you know, thank you for being here with us. Thank you. Um, we want you. We need you, and we love you. And uh, if you're struggling, please don't do this alone. Um, by yourself, you can't. Together, we can, and we will. So please reach out and, uh, and be with us, and I will... Uh, See my listeners and my viewers in two weeks. I have um, 
Louis coming back as my co-host, and he's bringing a guest. Um, and Louis Diaz is a is a great man of God and a, a great man of recovery. So uh, thank you again for being with us this evening. Thank you both for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And God bless. Have a great evening, and I'll see you folks in two weeks.